Welcome back to the European Treble, bringing you the latest football news from across the continent. Coming up in today's show. Reaction to Monday's Champions League and Europa League draws. Top four failed to score in Serie A as the title race hangs in the balance. Madrid find their shooting boots. Los Blancos put in a scintillating first half display against Sevilla. Boo Russia Dortmund. Fans turn on players after another home defeat, this time to second bottom Bremen. And Monaco survived Troy's scare as they fight back from two goals down. All this and more in the next 45 minutes. Hi guys, Jasper here. Thanks for joining us again for the latest episode of the European Treble. Uh, We're now officially on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate all your feedback and comments. We love reading them. Please do leave a review and tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, It's also that we can keep improving the show. It makes it better for you to listen to. uh, And obviously, I'm joined as usual by Linus. Linus, how's your week been? Uh, not bad, not bad. It's been a, an interesting week of football, to say the least. Obviously, we had uh, Southampton versus Arsenal at the weekend. Yep. Which, uh, usually you go to all Saints games, you had a bit of difficulty this week, didn't you? Uh, yes. Uh, England and its infamous snow. Every year we seem to have the same sort of issue, which is as soon as it snows, you can't go anywhere. Which, when you see our snow compared to the rest of the world, is laughable, but somehow we cannot deal with it. Yeah, so I was unable to attend the Southampton Arsenal game because it was going to take me three hours to get a uh, public transport from my house to the stadium. Um, however, I did enjoy the game from at home, uh, and uh, I think I walked away probably the happier of the two. Yeah, so um, unfortunately I didn't get to see the game until quite late on because I work at weekends and that, so I was going into work uh, just as the game was starting, and towards the end of the game... I worked with a few Saints fans. They were getting quite happy with hearing the score and just rubbing it in my face during my work. And then towards uh, the end of my shift, when the game had ended, you could see Saints fans coming in looking quite disappointed that they didn't win. I've since seen the game and... What do you mean about us getting lucky? We were definitely definitely the better team. Definitely, 100, 100%, definitely. So Olivier Giroud scored a, a late equaliser. Surprisingly, it was... It was <laughs> Giroud it was, scoring from the bench. It was wallpapered on. You knew it was, as soon as he came off the, off the bench, you knew it was going to happen. It had that feel about it. Three um, things are certain in life. Death, taxes and Giroud scoring off the bench. Exactly. Um, moving on, uh, on Monday, we were both involved in a live stream uh I say kind of a reaction, but a live stream of the results to, uh, from the uh, Europa League and Champions League draw. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was good fun putting it together. It was awkward trying to get all the pictures together and get everyone quickly. The presenters talk about Man City, get the Man City pitch on screen quick, trying to rush that all around. But no, it was fun um, and a really, really entertaining draw. I think that helps the whole live stream. The draw has been a very, very kind one for entertainment purposes. I be- yeah, so there's some uh, real big highlight fixtures in there. Um, a lot of in- a couple of the English teams have got very nice favourable draws. And a couple of the English teams have got not so favourable draws. Um, yeah, the, the mouth-watering ties see uh, defending champions Real Madrid against tournament favourites PSG. I didn't realise going into the draw that actually they are joint favourites with Bayern Munich. Um, but Real Madrid PSG, that's a, a final worthy match, let alone a round of 16 tie. Yep, one of the big guys will be out early in the competition. Um, Manchester City have got Basel. That's probably one of the easier ties. But, yeah, probably um, the biggest David versus Goliath matchup. Yep, and obviously Juventus-Tottenham, I think, was one that stands out for me with obviously the fixtures being played at Wembley as well. I think that'll be a big ask for Tottenham. However, they have already proved that with the way they played against Dortmund and, well, I say Dortmund, <laughs> but mainly Madrid with the two points they put in against Madrid that they can compete with the big boys. They can. My only concern is that they seem to be on a 
a run of bad form lately, and if that continues going into uh, February after what's going to be obviously all the Italian teams that could be rested over winter, Tottenham won't be. If they're on a bad form with tired players going into Juventus, who are a formidable side in Europe and have proven so over the last few years that they can push on to getting so close to winning it on multiple occasions. Yeah, they'll be there to the latter stage of the tournament. You'd you'd expect. Yeah, I think we. I think we should go, let's go through each group and each uh, tie and who do you think is going to go through each one. So we'll start with the first one out the hat, Juve Tottenham. Who do you see at the moment? I'd fancy Juventus um, just based on the fact that they're very strong at home and you don't really see Spurs scoring in Turin. No, I, I, that's my exact same reason as well. I think Juve, it's not me trying to hate Tottenham, but yeah, Juve just seen the stronger team of the two overall. I think they've got... a more options as well when you look at Spurs if they're without Harry Kane or if Kane's not in form or Deli Alley's not firing then they're, they're, they're almost a one-trick pony whereas Juventus have got Higuain they've got Doug Barla they've got all of these you know they've got world-class players throughout the team and I think yeah. Spurs are lacking that in some areas uh, the next one at the time Basel Man City I think you're obviously going Basel right obviously no, uh, yes uh, no Man City obviously the team that I think actually win the competition this year I think the football yeah, they're playing in the Premier League is brilliant um, I think Guardiola especially now that they've got such a big lead in the Premier League he can kind of afford to rest players in non-key fixtures and he can really prioritise the group, uh, the knockout stages sorry of the Champions League yeah that does seem to be there's not much more to be said Man City clear favourites there Porto Liverpool um, now see. Ben, who used to be on the show with us, um, has been away for the last few weeks. He says Liverpool are going to win the Champions League. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure they're going to get past Porto. I'm, yeah, I would agree. I think that's a very tough on the call. Liverpool very weak on the defensive end. Dejan Lovren is is almost a, a you know he's he's a disaster waiting to happen in every fixture. Uh, and Porto have been very very good at home this year. Vincent Abubakar is scoring goals for fun, so I think that they'll be a a real threat. Yeah. It's a tough one. I did say, I jokingly said Porter. I do think Liverpool will just edge it, but it's not going to be an easy one. Um, Sevilla, Manchester United. I I like Sevilla, but this is a very strong Man United side led by a man who knows how to perform in Europe. I think I'm going for Manchester United here. I I, I would agree with you, mainly because I think United will now be prioritising Champions League, especially after the result against Manchester City at the weekend. They've kind of almost got nothing to play for in the Premier League now other than to qualify for the Champions League again next year so Sevilla although they're very very good in European competition obviously three times Europa League winners in the last few seasons um, I would expect United to win that fixture now the one that we've talked about the bumper clash Madrid PSG <laughs> I'm going PSG I don't think PSG are quite finished article just yet um, I think Madrid are still the team to beat um, it's something I was going to touch on later on but um, I just think that with the way Madrid have been playing of late, it's not been great, but they've kind of just about turned the talk, the corner. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of they're picking up. I think that you know, come January, if they can win, they're off to the World Club Cup over over winter. But they're going to be fairly rested. You know, if they can get a bit of confidence behind them, they'll they'll be. I think they'll move into the kind of the position of, of favourites again. Yeah, they're they're a tough side, and I do agree they got a good way of going, but. I don't know, something about me just thinking PSG. Shakhtar Roma? Roma? Yeah, I think uh, everything points to Roma, but uh, Donetsk are, 
I mean, you can see with the way they played against Manchester City in midweek, they they turned over Manchester City in Ukraine. Um, I rate Paolo Fonseca very, very highly. I also rate his mask very, very highly. Saw <laughs> over his Roma. Um, yeah, so I, I would I would actually maybe swing the way of Donetsk on that one. The other final worthy tie, Chelsea-Barcelona. The first time they've met since that semi-final in 2012. I think it's going to be very different this time. I think Barca are walking this. Yeah, um, Chelsea just haven't got the squad to compete on two fronts this season. I think that's been their biggest downfall is they've you know, they've got top quality players like Eden Hazard. They've brought in players like Bakayoko who performed so well for Monaco in the Champions League last year. But the issue they've, they're having is the squad isn't big enough to compete in multiple competitions. No, and I say... You see, they, they've they got an uh, injury to Morata at the moment. They have to rely on Michi Batshuayi, who hasn't been performing pretty much since he's been at Chelsea. He gets the occasional good game against lower league opposition. If they have that sort of issue again come February, I think Barcelona will turn them over. And uh, finally, Bayern Munich, Besiktas. Bayern Munich, the other tournament favourites, along with PSG, against Besiktas, who have been the dark horses so far of the competition. I mean, you'd Unfortunately, back... I see Bayern taking this. Yeah, you'd back Bayern. Uh... Besiktas have done incredibly well. They've qualified top of their group in a very tough group as yep. well. Many people were, um, not the group of death, but it was a very competitive group. Leipzig, like Porto, Monaco. Exactly. A very competitive, um, all-round strong group. And Besiktas were probably the team that most people would actually thought were going to drop out of that group. And they've actually come away having the best record out of the teams. And they've obviously now drawn against Bayern. Uh, yeah, that's your reward group. for doing so well. You get Sim- Bayern Munich, unlucky. Because, because obviously Paris topped that group yeah. and Bayern ended up being second seeds, which is a bit... Yeah, it's unlucky on Besiktas' half, but yeah, you'd see yeah. Bayern progressing from there. But it's going to be a, a thrilling round of 16. In the Europa League, we can't quite go through all these ties here because there's so damn many of them. Um, but there are two really eye-catching ties for me. Lyon taking on Villarreal and two Champions League drop-downs clashing in the form of Napoli versus Leipzig. Yeah, that Napoli-Leipzig game, as you said, it is, a, it is technically a Champions League fixture. And to have that so early in the competition, um, I think it's a shame. I mean, everyone talks about the Europa League. Um, I personally rate it as a competition. I think that if you compare it to the UEFA Cup a few years ago, uh, I think the competition has, a, has much more reward in earning that Champions League place. I think people are taking it more and more seriously as it goes on. Um, but yeah, it's a shame that Napoli are playing Leipzig so early in that competition. You'd like to see them in, you know, the quarter semi-finals. Yeah, and to show how strong the Europa League is this year, neither of those two are the favourites. Tournament favourites Atletico Madrid have to get past Danish outfit Copenhagen. Uh, whilst the highlighted David versus Kalaev game from us is Swedish Ostersunds taking on my personal pick to win it, Arsenal. Mm. Uh, yeah, you can't really see Ostersund overturning Arsenal. Um, however, Wenger has got a habit of playing very interesting team selections in the competition. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think most people will have their money on Arsenal progressing. Yeah, I agree with you that they've uh, been a bit sketchy with their the way they've treated it so far. If Wenger doesn't take this tie seriously, Ostersunds have been playing great football over the last four or five years and really started to grow as a club. You, I don't want to, I don't want to underestimate them. You do say that, yes, Arsenal are by far the better team here, um, hence why they are second favourites for the tournament. Um, but yeah, I don't want to underestimate the they are still dangerous, as are most teams in the Europa League.
Moving on to La Liga, we'll start with Real Madrid. Coach Zinedine Zidane held a very complete performance after his side stunned Sevilla with a five-goal first-half onslaught in their La Liga clash at the Bernabeu. Cristiano Ronaldo celebrated his fifth Ballon d'Or award this week with a brace of Villas Blancos, producing a breathtaking attacking display against a Sevilla side who had started Saturday behind the hosts only on goal difference. Um, so it's nice to see Real Madrid returning to form. Have they now turned a corner? Um... I think it may be too early to say that, but we've criticised them so much this season for uh, for not performing very well and playing very poor football. They've got back to that sort of style that we're used to expect from Los Blancos. And like you said, Cristiano Ronaldo absolutely dominated. He's been poor all season, but he's won that Ballon d'Or now. That confidence is back with him. And he seems to be wanting to prove that he it was worthy of that title because there's a lot of criticism of him winning it. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's not so much importance placed on the Ballon d'Or anymore with it being split from FIFA and it now just being a France football award. But it does seem that he's, it's a given for him at the moment based on how many goals he's scored. Um, it's not, it doesn't take into consideration the whole picture of you know the team and the contribution and, and that mm. sort of thing. But it is, I think, in my opinion, it's nice to see Madrid performing again. Um, it's good to see them having some sort of cutting edge because... If they didn't turn it around soon, it was really going to be a Barcelona running away with La Liga. And I think that Madrid, if Madrid can start stringing together some wins now instead of, you know, they've been very hot and cold. It's been one week winning, one week drawing, one week you know, losing. If they can really string together a run of results, they might be able to kind of catch up on Valencia and, and then start to pressurise Barcelona. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing is to do it against Sevilla. If they'd gone 5-0 against your Las Palmas, your Malaga, your Alaves, those teams in the relegation zone it wouldn't have mattered so much. But like I said, Sevilla were behind them on goal difference and they blew them out of the water. And that is something that stuns a lot of people given how Madrid have performed so far this season. So we'll go from one Madrid team to the other. So Atletico Madrid climbed back above their city rivals, Real, into third place following a 1-0 away win to Real Betis. Quite an uneventful game. Um, the only goal of the game was scored by Sol Niguez, who's been on quite good form recently, a couple of assists and goals in his last few matches. Um, Barcelona at the top of the table won 2-0 away at Villarreal um, a very interesting game Barca struggled to break down a very resilient um, Villarreal side the goals came from Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi they came late in the game after Danny Raba was sent off for the yellow submarine in only his second ever La Liga game um, Messi scored his 49th goal of the calendar year and he's now equaled Gerd Müller's record for 525 goals for a single club in Europe's top 5 divisions continuing to show why he's one of the best of all time if not the best of all time it's it raises that argument again it's like where will he end where will it stop what records won't be broken by legal good, Messi? good Müller must hate him that's every single record Müller seems to have held Messi's either got or is going to get apart from maybe goals for germany which i don't think he can get but he'll probably still <laughs> find a way um it does seem to me that for Lionel Messi the one thing missing from his crown is a world cup yeah, but I think you could say the same about Ronaldo or in but the he's won it. But he's won an international competition. He's carried. Yeah, but so is Alexis Sanchez. And you wouldn't say he's up there with Ronaldo and Messi. Just, I agreed that winning the Euros was huge for Ronaldo, um, and can't take that away from him. And I'm not at all saying that Sanchez winning the um, Copa America or Vidal winning the Copa America that those guys are up on that level. I would say that maybe not having the World Cup isn't. In the future, no one's going to be like, oh, Messi didn't win the World Cup. Let's just forget about him. I agree, it's obviously still the most prestigious uh, award in football. 
But I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the World Cup argument for Messi. So the other results in La Liga, um, Malaga to Sociedad nil. So that result moves Malaga off the foot of the table. So they're now second from bottom, Las Palmas taking their place. Valencia 2, Celta Vigo 1. Valencia keeping some pressure on Barcelona at the top of the table. The tugs race isn't quite getting away just yet. However, it is is very much in the balance. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not over. But if Barca win and Valencia drop more points... That makes it even more harder for Valencia to chase. Bilbao 2, Levante 1. Another positive result for the backside moves them further away from the relegation zone. They're really starting to climb the table. They'll have their eyes on those Europa League places and trying to catch up with Sevilla and Villarreal. Yeah, they go a long way to go in terms of places, but it is only four points on the table. So on paper, just looking at it on face value, it looks bad, but it's actually only two or three weeks away from them being back in contention. And Alaves 2, Las Palmas 0. It leaves the Gran Canary inside bottom of the table, as I mentioned, and Alaves really having a good season. Um, I'd say it's more of a good run for Alaves than a good season. It's two wins in the bounce, though, so they were really, really struggling, but that gives them some hope in a relegation battle. I said I think it's just two games doesn't make it a good, a good season, but they're finding some form which is vital if they want to stay yeah. up. We're coming up to the January transfer window. Teams will be keeping an eye out for players to strengthen their side. January is a notoriously difficult market to play. It's hard to find bargains. Um, So we're going to focus on uh, maybe the comings and goings from each of the divisions at the end of our segments this week. Um, The first one I'm going to kick off with in the Liga is Steven Nzonzi. He's looking to leave Sevilla. They're willing to let him go. And he's been linked with your very own Arsenal. Yeah, it's quite surprising. He's been one of their best players since he's gone there. Obviously, he left Stoke a few seasons ago and has gone to Sevilla and done very, very well. I'm surprised it's it's all come out of nowhere. But as an Arsenal fan, I'll happy to take Stephen Nzonzi. He's a top, top class defensive midfielder. And I think bringing him into any team, he will do a job for you. It seems that um, Nzonzi has fallen out of favour under Eduardo Barrizzo. He hasn't been utilised in the same way he has over the past couple of managers. And I think that he, as you said, he since leaving Stoke, he's really progressed as a footballer. Um, and he's kind of gone on to the next level. And he's now looking, I think, to make that jump into a team that's playing regular Champions League football. He may feel that the Premier League is kind of calling him back because he's got a point to prove there. So I think that that would be a good move for Arsenal. I think it would be a good move for him. Um, the next one I'm going to touch on is Griezmann. He was obviously linked with United in the summer. Um, I personally feel it's very unlikely for him to move in January. I don't see Atletico letting him go. No, especially not this stage of the season. Uh, you'd be absolutely foolish to let your best player leave in the middle of the season. And yeah, I think it seems how much it's linked. It's inevitable it's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen just yet. Um, and we go from one that's unlikely to happen to one that's very, very likely to happen. Javier Mascherano, he's looking to go back to Argentina. He's free to negotiate that deal in January. Yeah, he's coming towards the end of his career. It makes sense for him to go back home and sort of play out the remaining few years that he's got left in the game in front of his his own family and friends. And we touched on it last week. Samuel Umtiti is currently out injured for Barcelona as well. And obviously with Mascherano looking to leave, um, are Barca going to be in the market for a centre-back? Almost certainly. They absolutely need to strengthen that area. There are some good centre-backs available. There's uh, Costas Manolas, uh, Socrates at Dortmund. There are some top players that Barca could go for, and I wouldn't be surprised to even try and get someone in in the January window. Um, Madrid always 
always linked with somebody um, that's been David De Gea for the last few transfer windows. They're obviously still keeping an eye out for a keeper. And <laughs> from keeper to Kepa, they're looking at Kepa from Bilbao um, as a long-term replacement for Casillas, who they still haven't really replaced. Yeah, Real Madrid seem to always always be after a goalkeeper. Keon Alves has done, has done fantastically for them. And there was all that stuff with De Gea and the fax machine, which looking back now I really wish that had gone through because I can't <laughs> stand the man he's too good um, yeah and they do seem to really be interested in getting Spanish players in it doesn't. It seems to be the one area they really like having a Spaniard in because there was um, uh, Kiko Casilla came in after Casillas left and obviously David De Gea and now uh, Kepa so they seem to really really want to have a Spanish representative between the sticks um, and then the last one we'll touch on is Coutinho um, he's it's been said that he's most definitely staying at Liverpool for the January transfer window. What happens in the summer, we won't know. Um, it will be very surprising if anything happens, re Barca. Um, however, it has been said that they are looking at alternatives now. Um, and one player linked has been Miralem Pjanic, um, obviously Juventus attacking midfielder. Um, he's got a great passing range, can score goals, can take set pieces. He's kind of the complete package and will do a very good job at Barcelona. Yeah, I rate Pjanic as a player. My concern there is if they want a player like Coutinho, they're not going to get him, they want a like for like alternative. I don't see Pjanic as that kind of guy. He's I think very Pjanic, similar to Rakitic in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think he is. I don't think he... Coutinho is very much a flair-style player. and I don't think Pjanic has that flair to his game, which I think... Yeah, I, just, I don't see that matching up. Rate Pjanic as a player. I don't think he's an alternative to Coutinho. And I think that very nicely leads us into Syria. Despite Serie A being the go-to league so far this season for excitement and competition, it was a fairly dull weekend at the top of the table, with Inter Milan and Juventus playing out a 0-0 draw, and second place Napoli also drawing 0-0 at home to Fiorentina. Uh, this opened up the door to Roma to push into the title picture, only for them to also draw 0-0 away at Chievo. Uh, an incredibly disappointing weekend in terms of goals so far. Uh, the top four have a combined 136 goals in the league, but all of them unable to find the back of the net in their respective games this weekend. It means that everything stays the same at the top of the table, with Inter Milan's uh, top on 40 points and still undefeated, Napoli in second on 39, and Juventus just behind on 38. Yeah, um, quite a boring week in Serie A, um, and surprisingly so. Um, we've almost, almost become accustomed to the top four or five teams really putting on a bit of a performance and, and throwing out these great games and results and you know whether it's been wins or losses or you know the Napoli Juventus game was probably one of the best matches I've seen in a long long time that only ended 1-0 Inter Milan have been thrashing people left right and centre recently um, Roma's home form has been great it's, but then we've had this week and it's been kind of like oh. yeah it's been completely deprived of the goals and the action that we're used to uh, even Lazio, who were outsiders in the title race, went and lost 3-1 at home to Torino. So the entire top of the table was just completely uninteresting and boring. However, the same cannot be said for the bottom of the table. Um, with Benevento all but relegated, having lost again away at Udinese, the remaining two spots have been heavily contested by five teams, all separated by just four points. Uh, Sassuolo gave their hopes of survival a huge boost with victory over relegation rivals Crotone, 
goals from Eduardo Goldeniga and Matteo Politino, giving the Nero Verdi all three points. The entire bottom of the table looks to be really, really interesting for the remainder of the season. Yeah, there's there's a lot of teams that are all very close and they're all playing each other. I don't know, they're all playing each other very soon. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, Crotone are now four straight losses. Um, they're slumping big time. Um, Sassuolo are very hit and miss. They seem to kind of win a game one week and then put together a couple of bad results and bad performances and then turn up the next. Um, Genoa have been much better in their last three fixtures. And then we touch on, obviously, Verona and Benevento at the top, at the bottom two sides, sorry. Um, Benevento, as you said, very much cut adrift. One point all year, and that was last week and given to them by their goalkeeper. Um, and Verona are second bottom on 10 points, so there's quite a big gap. But again, yeah. they, they've conceded far too many goals this year. Yeah, it does seem to be the issue... Um where we talked about the top sides constantly scoring, that means there has to be people down the bottom that are getting smashed week in, week out. You can see, you'll see Benevento conceded 38 goals, Verona 32, Spal 28, Cotone 32. Do you know what? Only 20. Their issue is they can't find the back of the net. Uh, Sassuolo on 28. And even one above them in 14th, Cagliari uh, on 27 goals conceded. So defence seems to be the big issue down the bottom of the table. Yeah, Um and obviously, coming up to January transfer window, that's probably where those teams will be looking to really strengthen their teams. You know, those are the kind of sides that are going to be looking to find that bargain, find that one player who can maybe turn their season around and, and help them move a little bit further clear of that relegation zone. Yep, as you mentioned, the January transfer window coming up. We'll move on to transfer rumours from Serie A. Um, title chasers Napoli are after Barcelona winner uh, winger Gerard De Lefeu to bolster squad depth up front. They've been scoring goals for fun with Calayon, Mertens and Insigne, but their backups maybe not as strong. So do you see De Lefeu being the kind of guy that can come in and do a job for them? Um, yes. I mean, he, I thought he did a very good job when he came in for AC Milan. He didn't set the world on fire, but he was playing in a very poor Milan side at the time. Um, Napoli are obviously looking to kind of bolster their chances in Europe as well as in the league. Um, they want to make a real push for that title, I think. And I think that Delefeu is that guy who can kind of really offer that competition in the forward areas for them. Yeah, um, we've got so Napoli looking to bolster. Inter Milan at real risk of getting weaker. Uh, Ivan Perisic has once again been linked with Manchester United. Jose Mourinho seems to be really, really interested in the Croatian talisman. He wouldn't be cut tied for Europe. This could be a big, big deal for United and a big, big loss for Inter. We touched on it last week. I think Perisic is everything Manchester United need right now. Um, United have seemingly lost faith in Henrik Mkhitaryan. He seems to have faded out of the picture as of late. And I think there's a gap in that squad that's waiting for someone who's a bit more direct, who's a bit more powerful um, and can play in a number of positions. Um, and I think that Perisic is that man. And I think that if Mourinho really wants him, that United will go out and get him. Yeah, I agree. He's a top, top player and he would do great work at Manchester United if he says it into Milan he could go to win the league he's a high quality player and it's no surprise to see him in demand for most of the top teams and finally one of the biggest wonder kids in Europe Celtics Moussa Dembele there is a new front runner to sign him and sort of out of nowhere it's Fiorentina yeah an interesting link um, obviously Fiorentina are looking to strengthen the forward areas um, I personally very highly rate Musa Dembele. I think he's he's got it all. He's got pace, power. He reminds me of a very young Drogba. Um, the only argument is that obviously he's playing in Scottish Premier League, which with, without you know meaning any offence 
to the Scottish Premier League isn't quite at the calibre of, say, your Serie A and your European competitions. Um, I don't think that he'll go there. I think that it's more likely he'll get snapped up by a, a larger side than Fiorentina, whether it's Premier League or I know he's been previously linked to PSG as well. I just I just can't see that being a particularly good match for either club. No, I think it'll end up being it cost Fiorentina way too much and Dembele just wouldn't it's too small a move for Dembele in the greatest of respects to Fiorentina. Nantes' winning run at home was ended as Mario Balotelli's 75th-minute winner completed a 2-1 comeback victory for Nice in Ligue 1. Claudio Ranieri's team had won the last five league matches before Balotelli secured all three points for the visitors and his 13th league goal of the season just 15 minutes from time. Um, Nantes, kind of the, the nice other story in Ligue 1 this season. They're sat in fifth position just outside of the the European places, it's very unlikely that they'll get in there with the gap kind of being stretched between them and Marseille. But Ranieri is he's done a great job since leaving Leicester at Nantes. He has, but uh, the Italian manager followed by the Italian striker, Balotelli, um, continuing to prove that there are flashes of ability there, uh, which I don't think anyone's ever denied. He just needs to sort out his attitude, but I feel like I'm the one millionth and one person to say that. Um, but you know, Nantes, yeah, like you said, they're probably not going to get into the European places, especially with a draw and a loss in their last two games. But yeah, Renier's done a fantastic job there, really transforming the club around. It'll be interesting to see how they build in the coming seasons. And we'll move into Lyon. So, Hussam Ouar at the double as Lyon beat Amiens. The 19 year old scored twice late on in the game, to in- including an injury time winner. Um, it lifts Lyon back into second in Liga. Um, and it kind of really throws open that battle for um, the Champions League spots. So Lyon, Monaco, Marseille, all now on 35 points. Um, Marseille's 3-0 win over Saint-Étienne extends their unbeaten run to 12 games in Ligue 1. And this weekend, we get a big match-up between Marseille and Lyon. Yeah, that's going to be a bumper clash to sort out who's going to get Champions League, who's going to get Europa League. Neither of those teams you see are going to chase a Paris man who got back to winning ways uh, this weekend. So victory in that game could really go a long way in settling who finishes where with regards to European qualification. And both teams have been um, scoring plenty of goals as well. Um, Marseille have kind of been a bit more, a bit more of a roller coaster. So they they kind of peak and trough. Um, Leon. As uh, as late have been scoring goals for fun, uh, they've obviously had that one bad result in there. Um, but otherwise, you're kind of looking at it maybe being a game full of goals. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, Lyon with 42 goals this season. Only uh, PSG have more, and Marseille on 35. Only PSG, Lyon, and Monaco have more. So this is two sides that know how to score. They've both got identical defensive records. Both conceded 19 goals this season. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping for goals are plenty in that tie. Uh, and you mentioned that Paris Saint-Germain got back to winning ways. The runaway league leaders secured a 3-1 victory over struggling Lille. Um, by PSG's standards, the club have actually had a torrid week. Um, they suffered their first defeat in any competition this season to Strasbourg last weekend. And then they lost to Bayern Munich in the Champions League quite convincingly. Yeah, Paris Saint-Germain have had a bad week, like I said, by their standards. I don't think it's going to be too disastrous. They've got back to winning ways now and you can only see them winning the league from here. Um, 
I'll touch on them in the Champions League because we mentioned at the start of the programme that they are actually in there as joint favourites with Bayern Munich. Where does this come from? Why, why all of a sudden are PSG considered favourites for a competition? Is it just because of the signing of Neymar? Uh, yeah, I think that they spent a lot of money. Neymar and Mbappe, that's near £300 million worth of strikers. You'd hope they'd be able to fire you to big things in big competitions and I think that's why they're up there as one of the tournament favourites and almost certainly league favourites. But the cliche is that defences win you titles. Um, in my opinion, I don't think PSG are quite the finished article. Um, I would consider teams like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, I, I would still see them as teams to beat, not PSG. I agree. I think they've got a lot to prove. I think that I, I agree with the adage of defences win you titles. However, I would maybe argue that Defences win you league titles in short space knockout competitions. Goals are the biggest thing. And we'll move on to Monaco, who were, of course, knocked out of the Champions League. Um, Guido Carrillo scored twice in the final six minutes as Monaco came from two down to beat Troyes 3-2. The reigning champions had lost four of their previous five matches and looked set for another shock defeat when Troyes scored in the 25th and 50th minutes. However, the 3-2 victory keeps them in the Champions League hunt, level on points with Lyon and Marseille. Um, and now we'll touch on the transfers. There's not been a lot of kind of rumours flying around, Liga, most of them revolving around PSG. Um, Donnarumma, apparently they're in continuous contact with the AC Milan keeper. Yeah, he wanted away in the summer, uh, but has uh, stayed around with AC and done a, well for himself, done a right for himself. Um, he's still very young. And it's the one area with PSG that you think maybe they still need a bit of improving. Trap and Ariola are decent keepers, but Donnarumma, with the way he's growing, could grow on to be one of the best in the world in four or five years' time. So I could see this being a good deal for both teams. Um, and you mentioned the fact that PSG have two established keepers that may not be considered top calibre. Um, it may well be that PSG, with the fact that they actually need to sell before they can buy in any sort of way may well start using players as make weight in many deals yeah I can imagine that if someone like Donovan was to come in both Trap and Ariola would be looking for moves away um, the next player that was quite a high profile one over the summer Thomas Lamar of Monaco um, he was linked with Arsenal on deadline day a deal was agreed a deal was, wasn't agreed um, it, it went from 50 to 70 to 90 million um, are they going to be back in for him with a fresh bid especially with Alexis Sanchez possibly leaving into the January transfer window. He's a player I was so desperate to get on deadline day. Sanchez looked set to go, Lamar set to come in, and by the 11 o'clock deadline, neither had happened. With Sanchez almost certainly out the door, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are starting to want him out the door, given the way he's played this season. Lamar coming in would be a top deal for Arsenal. My biggest fear, though, is that Liverpool are also heavily interested. So they may for a spanner in the works and much like we took Sanchez from them they might take Lamar from us um, and Neymar the biggest transfer story from the summer after his very high profile move from Barcelona to PSG um, he's been linked with Madrid uh, Florentino Perez came out earlier in the week and said that he would be interested in signing him in the future um, I think this is a bit of lazy journalism I mean who wouldn't be interested in signing Neymar yeah I think that's Perez just trying to stick one to Barca to be honest he says that here, if Neymar wants to win the Ballon d'Or, he needs to come to Madrid, implying that at Barcelona he never had a chance, or at PSG he doesn't have a chance. Um, 
I think that's more him just bigging up his players, going, oh, look, we've got Ronaldo, who's won the Ballon d'Or five times, four of those with Real Madrid. See, so coming to Madrid does get you the biggest awards. And the move to PSG was touted as being Neymar wanting to get out of Messi's shadow and win that Ballon d'Or. So maybe he's just, he's just trying to lure him along, saying, you really want that Ballon d'Or? Come to Real Madrid. Um, it's one of those moves which I actually feel probably will happen. It's um, it, it won't happen soon. Um, no, I, I don't. Three, four years down the line. I, you touched on the Ballon d'Or, um, and obviously the FIFA's the best, um, which is probably what he really wants to win now. Which is obviously what the old Ballon d'Or used to be. Yeah. It's all the best it's player all, it's in the world. It's all too confusing. Uh, the best player in the world. Um, Neymar, his move to PSG may well have been because he wanted to win those sort of trophies and those accolades. I don't think that PSG is necessarily the best platform to win those because of the quality of the division. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, with winning international competitions and European competitions yes maybe um, but I think that once Ronaldo hangs his boots up um, and it's obviously when he hangs his boots up um, Neymar may well be the kind of successor to the throne at Madrid and I think that would be very interesting to see how that develops Things continued to get worse for Dortmund and the fans seemingly have had enough. The players were heavily booed off the pitch after Saturday's 2-1 defeat to Werder Bremen, a team currently in the Bundesliga relegation zone. After the game, it was announced that manager Peter Bosch has been sacked by the club, with former Cologne manager Peter Stoger appointed as his replacement. We said last week we don't want to keep talking about Dortmund's poor form, but we can't ignore it this week. Yeah, um, it seems that the result against Bremen was the final straw for the Dortmund hierarchy. Peter Bosch has very much been a he's been a victim of his own success. You look at how Dortmund started the season; they didn't concede in their first five games. They were scoring goals for fun. They were walking away with the, with the Bundesliga title with, with the start that Bayern had, and it was kind of it was all in front of them. And then since September, it's kind of been a downward slippery slope, and, and they are where they are now, which is they're actually down in eighth position. Yeah, down as I joked last week, they could be as low as eighth. I didn't actually think it would come true. Uh, the the bad run just keeps on going, and this rot needs to get sorted quickly. Yeah, um, on the Peter Bosch factor, um, they obviously brought him in from Ajax because he had been very successful with a young team, um, and it's thought that he could kind of bring some of his philosophical ideas from that team and apply it to Dortmund. He's tried to play the same style with a much older squad, uh, and it hasn't seemed to have paid off. Uh, they looked very tired. They looked out of ideas. Um, he's had troubles with a Baumiang both on and off the pitch. Um, it just hasn't gone that well for him. Um, and when you look at his, his his former Ajax and previously at Maccabee Tel Aviv, he had great win percentages. Um, so to see that the flip side and see how everything's gone so wrong at Dortmund it's surprising but he did not have any big league experience before going to Dortmund no so you could argue maybe that wasn't the right appointment his replacement appointment seems to have raised a lot of eyebrows as well uh, Peter Stöger's come in former club manager only lost his job there the week before does it say a lot about Dortmund's mentality that they've hired a manager that hasn't won a league game this year um, it's an interesting appointment you touch on the fact he hasn't won a game this year. The flip side of that is that last season he took Cologne to European competition for the first time in, I think it's over 20 years, um, and he got them playing some really great football. 
Um, he sets his Cologne team up in a 4-4-2. I think you've seen that with obviously the fact that Cologne played Arsenal earlier this year in the Europa League. Um, they can be a tough side to break down. Um, whether we can bring that across to Dortmund, because that's their real issue at the moment, isn't that they're um, struggling to score goals, it's that they're conceding silly ones and they're, they, I think they just need to get back to basics. Yeah, you say that they're not conceding. They've also oh, uh, not having trouble scoring. They actually have the joint best goal scoring record in the league uh, with 20, uh, 35, sorry, Bayern Munich also on 35. But then you look at goals conceded, they're in eighth. There's 10 teams below them. Three. Three teams below them have conceded as many as Dortmund, uh, that being uh, Mainz, Freiburg and Cologne. So you'd hope that Stuttgart can come in and solidify that defence. And like you mentioned about them playing Arsenal, they seemed a really, really hard team to break down. We only just about got a win against them at the Emirates and lost against them in Cologne. So maybe Stuttgart can come in and stabilise that. I'm just fearful that bringing in someone who has been on the poor run of form himself this season isn't necessarily the right move if they want to turn things around for themselves. Uh, so we mentioned Cologne. With Bremen beating Dortmund, it was vital for them to get a victory at home to Freiburg in order to stay within touching distance of safety. Things looked to be going well as they raced into a 3-0 lead after just 29 minutes. However, a second-half capitulation saw them lose 4-3, with Niles Peterson scoring twice from the spot in injury time, completing both his hat-trick and Freiburg's comeback. They are now... 12 points off of the playoff place at the bottom of the table and much like Benevento in Serie A, Cologne looked down. Um, yeah, they're very cut adrift at the bottom of the table. Um, they haven't won a game all season. You, you just don't see where the positive results are coming for them in the league. The only thing you could say is now that they're out of the Europa League, yes. they may well be able to focus more on the Bundesliga Um and we may start to see them pick up some results, but they're going to have to. They're going to have to have some second half of the season to really make up for their very, very poor start in their first fifteen games. Yeah, losing again. Bremen, as we said, mentioned one. They lost. Uh, Cologne themselves lost to Freiburg. Hamburg above them drew. Mainz above them drew. So Cologne keep dropping points, and those above them keep pulling away. The gap gets greater and greater each week, and I'm just not sure that's going to be. If they're going to be able to pull that back if they want to stay alive. Yeah, it's not looking good. Um, and rounding things up, we've done transfers all show, so we'll round it up with the Bundesliga ones. Not a lot of rumours of coming in. Some odd ones going out. Now, with transfer season, you usually get some wild, crazy rumours. Uh, this might just be the wildest one yet. Dortmund striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has this week been linked with a shock move to Everton. Yes, uh, <laughs> shocking indeed. Um, Everton are looking to bring in a striker. Nobody's surprised by that. Um, they're supposedly letting Sandro Ramirez go to Valencia. Um, a deal is being agreed there, so it's very likely that he'll return to La Liga, um, in which case that will free up some funds and some wages at Everton for them to bring in a striker. We know that they went for Olivier Giroud in the summer. That didn't work out. It almost led to Koeman's sacking, or that's what he would say. Um so they're definitely after a striker. Whether Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the man to to solve that issue? No. 
it's, probably well, would solve he, the issue. He'd solve the issue, right? Whether it's... he would go there on, <laughs> without without any European football, I I cannot see that move happening. No, um, and I would advise anyone. There's a really good uh, Twitter thread. Um, things more likely than Aubameyang signing for Everton. We can't repeat most of them, but I would definitely <laughs> encourage you guys to try and seek it out because there are some beauties down there. Um, one that seems a bit more realistic, though, uh, and sticking with English interest in the Bundesliga, Arsenal are reportedly chasing Schalke midfielder Leon Goretzka, who stated a few weeks ago that he will be making his final decision on his future in January. Schalke just can't seem to keep hold of their best players, can they? And it's a real shame for them because they've got a really good squad. They're building a team that you think in the next couple of seasons could really maybe challenge for a Bundesliga title if they can keep developing that squad. Um, the only thing you would say is if they do lose Goretzka, who is their key player, um, is that they will get big funds for him and they will be able to reinvest. Arsenal, I may add, are not the only team inve- uh, interested in. He's obviously been linked to Juventus, to Barcelona, um, to most of the big clubs across Europe are all chasing him. Uh, and he's one of those midfielders. He's very dynamic. He can pick the ball up. He can run. He can score goals from midfield. And it's no surprise that everyone's chasing him. Yeah, six goals in 12 appearances this season. He is one of the most sought-after midfielders in Europe. Like you said, Schalke could have had such a good team if they kept hold of their best players. Two seasons ago, they lost their best player, Joel Matip, to Liverpool on a free. The year after, they lost their player of the season side, Kolasinac, on a free. This year they might get money, but so far their player of the season, Leon Goretzka, looks to be wanting to, away from the club. Yeah, and then I'll throw another one into the hat. Um, not so much a transfer that's likely to happen in January, but obviously Naby Keita's move from Leipzig to Liverpool is due to go ahead in the summer. Uh, there have been rumours circulating over the past few weeks that Liverpool may look to try and make that deal go through earlier and happen in the January transfer window. However, most people at Leipzig are very much against that. Yeah, you can understand why he's one of their top players. Liverpool need to strengthen their midfield. Henderson's a hit and miss player. Chan, likewise. Wijnaldum doesn't seem to have quite what they need. So Kate's obviously already guaranteed to come in in the summer. If they're wanting to push on in the Champions League and in their own push for a top four finish in the Premier League, Liverpool may be trying to get hold of Kate sooner. I don't think it will happen because Leipzig ultimately hold all the power in that situation. Um, yeah, I don't. I think we'll still see Cater here come February first. And you mentioned Emre Chan of Liverpool as well, so kind of flowing on nicely. He's been rumoured to want out of Liverpool. He's been chased by Juventus and also by Munich. Um, Munich is quite an odd link because I believe he was there as a youngster. He was schooled at Bayern Munich um, and. They're looking at maybe making a move for him on, I believe, a free transfer. So their midfield is already jam-packed with players, Quarantine Tolisso, Arturo Vidal. They're not short in the midfield department. So what could that all be about? Well, it's a German midfielder wanting to leave. Of course, Bayern Munich want him. He's half-decent and German. You see players like Sebastian Rudi, who's gone to um, Munich. It didn't ever look like he was ever going to get a chance. But he's... he's uh, He's a German midfielder, much like Chan. Bayern Munich maybe wanted to snap him up just to stop anyone else getting him. Um, and obviously the last one um, is Sandro Wagner. We touched on him last week. 
um, his link to Bayern Munich in terms of being a backup for Lewandowski. That's looking very probable. Whether that will be a January move or whether that will be a summer move, we don't know. But they do need a backup striker in that role. It will be very interesting to see what happens with Thomas Muller, whether anything develops with him in January. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, Wagner seems to be a deal that's all but done. It's a shame for Hoffenheim to uh, lose one of their better players to Munich. But, you know, it's what Munich do, isn't it? They'll see a um, half-decent player at a moderate team and they'll be like, okay, we're going to take him away to stop you being any sort of threat to us in the future. Hoffenheim have been rising really well over the last few seasons and maybe not to the level of competing for the title, but Bayern Munich here going, we're going to try and take away some of your players uh, like Sebastian Rudy the year before and now with Sandra Wagner to say you can't have them just so it keeps us stronger and you weaker. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for listening and find us on SoundCloud and all the usual podcast places. Tweet us your thoughts and feedback at RepsadShiner and LylasH96 using the hashtag European Treble. And we'll be back next week with all the latest from the world of European football.